When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy... And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Amar. Hey, Wilmer. So what do we have planned for this week? Or better yet, where are we heading to today? Would you say we're... Uh going on a ride <laughs> do we need to take a lift to get there <laughs> oh my god the dad jokes are real today yo i'm but... a dad she's six months how your boy <laughs> but as you just implied our essential worker this week works as a ride share driver her name is amina ashraf and she's a driver and former medical transport business owner from milwaukee wisconsin Amina's passion is uplifting her fellow rideshare drivers, and she maintains safe COVID protocols for herself and her riders while doing this. Amina's her own boss, and her coworkers lovingly call her La Patrona. But being your own boss during a pandemic has its own set of challenges, especially when it comes to asking riders to wear masks. This is another area that hits close to home, right, Wilmer? Right. People may not know this, but my dad is actually a rideshare driver and he worked all through the pandemic until my family and I sit him down and says, okay, my dude, you sit in your ass at home and like, stop, stop with that. <laughs> go, but I got a plastic in between my two seats, you know, uh, like this, you know, those big dividers. But as a, as a family, we got to hear his stories and all the repercussions he had to take. You think a lot about that because they have to clean their car, right? They have to make it ready for the next person. And in that process, they're also exposing themselves. But, you know. Wow. Your dad was out there driving. Puchica, Wilmer. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. Puchica, indeed. Puchica, indeed. <laughs> but Amina has many similar experiences to share with us. What's also super cool about her story is that it's not just about driving. She's an entrepreneur in many different arenas, and the way she hustles is representative of a large swath of people working in the gig economy today. So then as a follow-up to Amina's story, we'll have a larger conversation with two thought leaders, Lewis Howes, who's an author and podcast host and is an advocate for approaching the entrepreneur and gig economy with a healthy mindset, and with Alyssa Walker, who's a journalist and she writes for New York Magazine, and she specializes in writing about transportation in cities like Los Angeles and New York. All right, Mart. so let's get the keys and let's ride. 
See what I did there? <laughs> Get the keys. That's right, because we're because it's a ride share episode. <laughs> Amina's story starts now. Hi, my name is Amina Ashraf. I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I do a multiple of things, including ride share in my state. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Tell me a little bit about what you do and you know how you got into it and how you find a passion and what you do. Well, I've done several things, actually. I went from accounting to opening up a non-emergency medical transport company and then to doing Lyft. And then I'm back to accounting again, too. So it's a long story, just summing it up in two seconds. So, But everything about what I do in the interaction with the people and the empowerment and the encouragement that I can give to others is what I love to do. No matter how hectic it can be, I love this. I, I wouldn't change who I am for nothing. Describe uh, your professional day. How does it start and has it end? Well, the first thing I start with is I get ready. I get in my car. I turn on my Lyft app. And this is only Monday through Friday because I have a ritual that I swear I do not work weekends. <laughs> so so um, I, I turn on my app. I do rides all the way up until around 745, 8-ish, depending upon if I have an appointment. If I have an appointment in my office, then I come to my accounting office. If I'm finished for the day at 12, I'm finished. But I also run a Facebook group for gig workers here in my city. So between doing all of that and taking care of either the Lyft clients or my accounting clients or my tax clients, I'm also mentoring and helping the drivers within my group too. So I I do a lot, yeah. That's amazing that you're, you know, so um, dynamic that you're able to really show up in so many places. I'm sure it keeps it unique. It keeps it fresh for you and, you know, it keeps you going, right? Is, it, is that some of the things that kind of just keeps you going and what energizes you through it? What energizes me is the fact that I'm constantly on the go. I'm constantly doing something. I'm constantly either I'm helping somebody and this is my drive. If I didn't have that, there'd be nothing, actually. I'd have no purpose in life. <laughs> How many rides a day do you normally do on an average? Before the pandemic, I was doing roughly between 20 and 25 rides a day. And then post-pandemic, it dropped dramatically. The first few months, they cut adding other drivers and, you know, where no new drivers could come in. So whoever was actually driving in the beginning of the pandemic, they kind of had that cushion. And so no one else could be added. Even those that took the prolonged vacay, they really couldn't come back either, which kind of benefited the ones that were driving constantly. So when they did that, it really helped us out. So in the beginning, you could still average out the 20 to 25, but then it would drop down. Like maybe you're lucky if you're getting 10 rides or five rides. I mean, it was really rough. It was really rough. I know you started a transport business in the uh, non-emergency world, right? What was that? When Obamacare was created, it opened the doors for these non-emergency medical transporters to come in and create a business. And that would eliminate the ambulances always going out to these houses. And then what we do is we take cancer patients, dialysis patients, somebody that might not have transportation, somebody that may not be able to transport themselves. It all just depends upon the patient themselves. So I built this over a 13-year period of time. And then a divorce took place. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I had to like, sell okay. my house. Yeah, yeah. How did you pivot from there? Like, what took place after that? 
it was really hard in the beginning because I, I was really fighting to get back the half that he should never have gotten, but it's okay. So it took me a year to stop the fight after he was awarded the half. And I woke up one day, I don't know. I just woke up one day and said, is this really worth it? Is it really worth the fight? And I was like, maybe it was meant for me to build it, but not keep it. So I went and I approached him. And I said, if you really want the company that bad, buy me out. So he ended up buying me out per se. And he actually sold all my assets before I could take possession. Wow. Yeah. So it, it was a dirty job. It's okay. So then one of my drivers told me, okay, so my nickname here is La Patrona. <laughs> La Patrona. You mean the boss. <laughs> okay. And it's all over. My, it's everywhere. So he's like, Patrona, just listen to me. Download Lyft and that'll help you. I was like, yeah, right. I download Lyft. I know taxi cab. <laughs> actually i did i didn't have any other option i didn't know what i was going to do so the state broker had offered me the opportunity to continue but create a new contract with a new company name and i didn't have the vans so one of my friends gave me two vans to start off and then i drove lyft to pay for those and mm -hmm. to get my insurance back active with the new company so if it wasn't for lyft I would not be in the spot that I am today. You're going, you're doing what you're doing. And then all of a sudden pandemic, right? And all of a sudden COVID. What was that conversation with yourself? Like, how do you even pivot in that specifically with what you're doing? Well, for me, since I have had the experience with the non-emergency medical, I wasn't as worried, but I had to take the extra precautions about wearing the masks and, you know, making sure. But I always had a hand sanitizer. I always had masks in my car. But was I a little bit more worried than I am with my normal medical transport? Absolutely. It's a great segue to talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like for you to work in person, right? I mean, I think there's so many people that were allowed to work from home and that had other outlets to do those things. And, and then there's all the people that were told that you needed to go home. And also because the job or the business, everything was closing down until further notice. What was it like for you to be in work in person? Was that, did that take a toll with your stress? I mean, how did that all work out for you? It does take a lot of stress. It takes a lot of stress because you're doing a lot more and you're taking a higher risk than anyone else. We had to enforce the policy of wearing a mask. And some of these individuals didn't want to wear a mask, but I got smart. I was like, I'm tired of repeating myself. So what I did was I had stickers made that said no mask, no ride. And I slept them on the outside of my windows. Your profession, your passion has also become part of a larger ecosystem for the essential workers. There was a lot, you know, that went into transportation around that time as well. How did you feel about that? And how do you feel about the word essential? In the beginning, I was like, well, at least I know I'll be with a job. <laughs> at least now I know I'm essential. But at the end of the day, it does take a toll on essential drivers. It's a lot mentally. It's a lot physically. And especially if there's not a lot of drivers out there psychologically, you feel like you have to stay out there longer to be able to help these people get to their jobs. And then when you're denying people that you know are not going to work, that's hard because we had a rule that, you know, we had curfews and no one that was not essential could not ride. That's why I didn't drive at night because I knew that most of them were not being essential. So, you know, I had to time it right. So when you know you're going to a house and you're picking up three people that are coming from a party, you have to tell them you can't get in my car because I'm not willing to transport you because I don't know, you're in a party of 30 people. I don't know who has the virus. 
how can the community support you even more and how can they be more thoughtful about their drivers? I think the community, as far as a rider, needs to be more compassionate with the driver. You might have a listener that might not believe in the virus or whatever, and they don't want to wear a mask, but they really need to think of the driver because you're putting that person in danger, whether or not you believe in it. I know it's real. I had it. I was very sick. And we need to be more humanized because we've all forgotten that. And I think the coronavirus helped us set back and really think about that again and get us back into our families and our friends and what's most important. It's a sad thing that it happened, but I think it did help a lot of families come back together. So, so really, I want people that are riding with the drivers to really have consideration for the driver. That really is helpful. And I think in, as we navigate through life and be a little more thoughtful about others, which I think is what I hope the big message out of this life-altering situation that we just endured together, I think there is, in many ways, what people call silver lining, I think is the awakening of, oh, man, we did something together and we endured it and got through it together. You know, and no matter how many differences and how strongly you felt about the virus or not, you know, the truth is that it did more uniting than dividing. And I think that that's the goal, right? And I think that what you've done in bridging the gaps and, and helping people and building your businesses and going through your own personal journey, I think is super inspiring. So thank you. Thank you very much. It was an honor to meet you. Amina is definitely the boss, la patrona. <laughs> I'm so impressed by her resilience and her commitment to provide essential services like rides, both to folks going about their everyday lives and to folks in need of non-emergency medical transport. She also provides such an interesting perspective on a service so many of us take for granted. I mean, how many times we get in the backseat of our lifts and uh, put our headphones on and not talk to our drivers. I mean, when we do that, we miss out on getting to know these amazing people like Amina. When we get back, we'll learn more about the big picture surrounding the work Amina does with Lewis House and Alyssa Walker. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
Today's roundtable guests are Alyssa Walker, a journalist who writes for New York Magazine, and Lewis House, an entrepreneur and author of The School of Greatness. Alyssa, Lewis, it's such a pleasure. Welcome. Alyssa, what are some of your first thoughts after listening to Amina's story? I was so saddened to hear that you think about how many people who are essential workers that have to do mask enforcement, right? And especially with changing rules, although I think they've always stayed the same in in ride hailing situations, but you think of how they've changed in restaurants or in other public spaces and um, imagining that somebody is in a vehicle with you that could threaten your life and you have no real agency to get them out of your car. You know, that that's a really terrifying situation and um, was reflecting just how much we have placed that enforcement upon people who make very low wages and might not have guaranteed health care. And that's the choice that we've made as a society. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible to hear that you use your writing to spark change. That's amazing. And Lewis, what about you? What are your initial thoughts? I think it's a lot for people to constantly need to pivot. And I heard her sharing her story about going through the divorce and pivoting the business, then having to start something new that she thought she wasn't going to do, then having to deal with the mask mandates, then having to deal with like, now there's no mask, then there is a mask, and like constantly being in an evolutionary reinvention state for the last year and a half for a lot of people, I think is what I'm hearing. And it's, uh, it's for me, it. It reminds me that the most important thing is to take care of our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, and the love for ourselves. Because with this uncertainty of constantly every other month, I don't know what's going to happen mentality, um, I could see that wearing on myself immensely if I didn't have security financially, if I didn't have security in my relationship or my marriage and I think uh, a lot of people have been dealing with, with the emotional stress of uncertainty too much. And I think that's that's hard to, to manage. So from hearing her positive attitude and her positive energy around it, I'm just like, well, this is what I had to do. And I'm going to show up for myself and I'm going to keep innovating in the process. I think that's really inspiring. Uh, so you have something to add? One thing that struck me was that all the kind of side hustles that she was getting into were built around a failure of public services. So the reason you might need emergency transport to get to a medical appointment or you might need to call an Uber or Lyft is because our transit systems are not serving people in the way they should be. And at one point, it was easy to get to your doctor's appointments or to the bar or to school. And now the way that our transportation infrastructure has been set up, that's all been taken away along with people's independence. Wow. <clears throat> That's interesting. And it actually drives me to a question. Alyssa, um, what draws you to the stories that you cover? I think that's probably a lot of it. What I was saying, yeah. you know, I mean, just uh, this, a lot of what I cover is kind of the abandonment of cities for very basic programs and services and very simple access to our neighborhoods that has been taken away, not just with living in a more car-centric society, but also the way that things have been underfunded and, and undervalued. And, um, you know, I'm a mom of two kids. So a lot of what frustrates me is that we can't 
get around and do a lot of things that we want to do unless we get in a car. And guess what? It's really hard to take something like a ride hailing system with two small kids because you have to take car seats with you everywhere. So, um, so we're big public transit fans. I think that's my biggest, uh, advocacy uh my writing falls into is just really trying to get more money it's not just people writing it but also making sure that's being funded at the at the very top level adequately yeah and, and lewis speaking of writing uh what brought you to write the school of greatness and start a podcast based on those philosophies i mean i'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because i think it's relevant sure to the many lives and the many people that come through our show as well well for me i was i was really good at accomplishing my goals i was really good at setting goals as an athlete and accomplishing them. I was really good at accomplishing business goals, but I wasn't good at finding inner fulfillment, peace, under stress and chaos. I was just good at like accomplishing and, you know, and then going to the next accomplishment or next goal without actually feeling my feelings, without actually learning how to deal with failure in a healthy way, without actually learning how to deal with heartbreak in a healthy way, without, you know, I wasn't, vulnerable. I wasn't vulnerable until I really started the show and got into like learning about myself more. So for me, I wanted to learn the skills and the tools that weren't taught in school, the skills that would help us deal with failure, deal with heartbreak, build self-confidence, self-belief. Because for me, that's, I learned some of that stuff in sports, but it was still, there was no like practical tools. And so I wanted to interview the experts to figure out how I could apply that to myself and how, how I could bridge the gap from these experts into mainstream to as many people as possible. So that was kind of my mission for me to be the guinea pig and then to just teach through my failures. Well put. <laughs> Go say Mark. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Lewis. It's really awesome to hear you talk about that and the introspection because it can be really hard to sit down and think about our failures and think, I just can't keep moving on to the next thing. That's unsustainable. So I'm definitely taking mental notes over here. <laughs> With the work that you do and how you inspire others to be their best selves, I feel like Amina definitely embodies the spirit, whether it's in the Facebook group that she talked about or with her coworkers admiringly calling her La Patrona. It's just really clear that Amina encourages others to see their work and, and business as a passion and not just a paycheck, which I think is really inspiring. So, Louis, can you further expand on the importance of this mentality? Well, I think, uh, you know, her, that's why I really love her attitude was more about like her purpose and it's a mission. It's not just a job. It's not just a career. It's something bigger than that, which brings her this deeper sense of fulfillment, deeper sense of community and connection with the people she's driving or the group that she's uh, mentoring, which I think is inspiring. And I think if we don't wake up with some sense of purpose, whether that's a short-term purpose or long-term purpose, it doesn't have to be for the rest of my life, I'm going to be living this purpose, but what am I going to do at this season of my life? So maybe she's only got a ride share for six months or a year, and it's not going to be forever, but she could go into it with a purpose of this is my intention. Every ride, I'm going to leave someone better than when I found them. I'm going to bring them joy, or I'm going to create a, an environment of peace. I'm going to create an environment of friendliness, of community. Maybe this is the only person they see today. What can I do to bring a better moment for this individual? That sense of purpose, that sense of intentionality with each moment, with each connecting point could really be a ripple effect in her local community, which could enhance the, the ability for people to have more flexibility, to have more freedom, to have more peace of mind as opposed to fear and scarcity that might be uh, living in their head right now, in their heart. So for me, 
without the sense of pur- purpose, we are walking and wandering around aimlessly. And when we are aimless, all the negative thoughts and negative things come to us. They're attracted to us. And so it's very important that we wake up every day with an intention. How do we want to live today? Even if we're not in the exact place we want to be. Maybe I don't want to be ride sharing right now. That's not my ultimate purpose, but I'm here right now. How can I show up and live fully? We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through global dining access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Alyssa, you've reported on and written about transportation and the industry for a long time. And you were talking a little bit earlier about what drives the kind of reporting that you do. So could you please expand a little bit on the rideshare industry or transportation industry at large as it relates to Amina's story? I know it's kind of a big question, but I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. She kind of is this very quintessential Lyft driver that the company really likes to tell you about where they, as a person who has many gigs and this fits very well into their life and they can pick up and put down jobs as needed. But one part that she spoke about very specifically, I think, is part of the reason that we're seeing some real tumult in the industry right now, um, which is if you didn't keep driving the entire time we've heard from drivers, if you kind of try to get back into it, um, you were maybe not going to be able to make the same amount of money. You just weren't, you didn't keep up your, they have all these different it's very complicated how they reward drivers for accepting certain trips and you make points. You know that as a writer, when you use the services, you get a rating. So it's kind of the same way for, for drivers, depending on how many trips that they accept. What a lot of people have seen as the users of this side of it is you didn't go out for months and months and months and you stayed in your house because you were not an essential worker and decided you wanted to go out to a restaurant that you finally is open for indoor dining or something and you realized there was no vehicles near you or maybe you took 30 or 40 minutes to match a ride. I've heard stories of people that vehicles just never came and they canceled on you. 
And so all of a sudden you have this like really high demand for cars. And that's really all it is. I think a lot of people are like thinking that like ride hailing is over and like it'll never bounce back. I think it's probably already starting to get a little bit better based on it was a few months ago from the the rides experience. But what companies like Uber, and we'll just say Uber since we don't have to bring Lyft into it in particular, they were charging a lot more for rides, but that money was not going back to the drivers. And, and instead they try to do things like introduce incentives to the drivers drivers to get them to accept more rides and get out there and do more driving. And this is all to say that at the same time, a company like Uber has been losing billions of dollars for years, ever since they went public, they have never made money. So we really have to look at Yes, they might be trying to sell this as a way for people to make money as a gig worker, but it, particularly here in California, where we've passed Prop 22, which was a ballot measure that uh, Uber, DoorDash, Lyft, all these companies spent like many millions of dollars to pass. They're doing it in a way that could be possibly exploitative for those workers because they are not offering healthcare benefits or something like protection against someone that takes off their mask in your car. Just a quick note to our listeners, since recording with Alyssa, the U.S. government has declared Prop 22 unconstitutional. We have to really look at like what system we've built. And for me, I really question, you know, my own use of these services now, especially going through the pandemic. And like you said, looking at the vulnerability of certain people who have been forced to make a living during this time and haven't even been able to make a minimum wage in some cases. And just looking at how some of these businesses have been trying to profit off of this during this period and not offer the same type of protections for their workers. Was that a super bummer answer? Like, (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's important. It's, It's really important to understand, you know, where we are. What I love about having both of you here is that you guys can have a human conversation and we can all find a way of of what it's going to take for us as a community to really feel more empowered to get in the game, uh, knowing that the most powerful solutions that came through the pandemic were community born. (laughs) You know, it weren't national governing or, or local governing. They were literally community born. You know, the DoorDash and all these different types of services, they're getting less opportunities to make money. And so one of the things that I've been encouraging people to do is to tip more. If you have the means, tip more. You know, one of the things I saw recently on, I think it was Postmates or Uber Eats or one of those, when you order it, now they're saying leave the tip before, whereas it used to be at the end, like, it's now it's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to have an honor system that this person's going to deliver it on time and it's going to be fine. And I'm just tipping, just like tipping it forward and uh, knowing that it'll all pay off in the long run. So I think if you have the means, be a good community member and say, hey, I want to support these individuals. Uh, if you're going out to restaurants or if you're in you know, ride sharing or Postmates, Uber Eats, that type of thing, and tip well if you can. That's one thing as a community member to try to help out the financial s- support. Eliza? Mm. Yeah, my mine is going to be going right to those city decision makers, right? I mean, you look at the people, you, you mentioned something that was so resonant when we talk about things like transportation in at, a, at the regional level, perhaps, you know, we're here in LA where um, we have the second largest uh, transportation system in the country, but it's not nearly the ridership numbers that are you know matched by a place like New York City or even somewhere like Chicago. And that is because the policymakers drive everywhere. I mean, there's very rare cases where they can tell you the quality of the transit experience unless they're riding it for some kind of ribbon cutting. And it really is about like giving those decisions to 
the driver, you know, like the, the perfect example is like a bus driver, you know, they understand why the buses are slow. It's because they don't have dedicated bus lanes and, and there's cars in front of them slowing them down. Well, of course, the bus is going to be slow. Of course, people are going to be frustrated because it doesn't come on time. That just sets mm-hmm. the whole day on this, you know, like dominoes that just is going to, you know, ruin your transit system. So it's really basic things like that, that we are going to have to ask for, not just ask people to make those decisions, like, uh, you know, try to drive less, but also go to the very top of the decision makers and be like, you have to tangibly improve the experience for people who rely on this bus every single day or else nothing's going to get better even for the drivers it's still going to suck for them you know as long as we have the situation Alyssa, you recently wrote an article about bus shelters that we all thought was super awesome could you tell us about the article Boy, do I. Yeah, we're in, <laughs> we're in like the 90 degree times of the year where you really start to notice if you're a transit rider, how few of our bus stops have bus shelters. And a lot of them have benches, which are, I took a thermometer out one day and took readings and some of them got up to 135 degrees. So you probably don't even want to sit on them unless there's a shade on top of it. Um, but those are everywhere. But then we only have bus shelters at a quarter of our bus stops in Los Angeles right now. And that is so troubling, not just because we have learned this week from the IPCC report from the United Nations that our planet is getting warmer at an accelerated rate that is almost guaranteed to that we will be cooking ourselves as we try to get around. But also, if you want to try to get more people to ride transit as part of your climate goals, which our city has very aggressive climate goals, why wouldn't you offer them, you know, the ultimate in comfort for people who have to wait, hopefully not too long for a bus, hopefully services is is improving, but um, you want to make sure that people have a dignified and and pleasant and shady and cool place to wait. And we just haven't done that as a city. That's not a decision that we've tried to make. So a a person who works for JC Deco, which is does all the bus shelters, you know, they're a French company that you've seen them, they do billboards and he designed this little sunshade thing that's like a sur- it looks like a surfboard that has a sign on you know the, all the signage for the bus on one side and you can kind of tilt it to shield yourself from the sun and like line up this nice diagonal of shade behind you but that's all they can do because the city is not going to invest in the infrastructure and right. they're not going to widen the sidewalks they're not going to plant more trees and unless they decide to do that we still have to we have to cower behind these little <laughs> planks of shade that are provided for us mm. so wilmer not to veer off topic too much but You've shared some thoughts with me in the past about domestic workers and obstacles with public transit, which we heard about firsthand when we recorded with Denise, who was our domestic worker essential voice a couple episodes ago. Denise shared with us how she used to walk to work, but how so many domestic workers relied solely on public transit to get to work. So Wilmer, do you want to share some thoughts about this now? We're no stranger to domestic workers. And, you know, domestic workers, the way they get to your house is a number of ways, right? They take the bus, fall away from wherever they are, all the way to where you live. They get there on time, but you don't know they've been on the road for about an hour and a half to sometimes two hours just to get to you and work all day and do what they got to do. And then they got to get to that bus stop on time to get home at a reasonable hour so they can get dinner for their kids, you know, so... Ventura Boulevard is incredibly commercial, right? A lot of restaurants, a lot of stores, and there's a lot of bus stops. You know, and to your point, Eliza, because some of these bus stops don't have any shelter, they would take the shelter in the nearby business who has an awning or has anything. The businesses were telling them, you can't stand in front of our door or our sign or our window. So they were forced to stay 
and the sun. And you don't think about these things until you understand the toll or the commute in which these essential workers are kind of forced to commute in. Not only they're a domestic worker and doing what they got to do, you know, they have to take a bus all the way from many different other zip codes uh, far from you. And they can't even stand in front of a store. There's got to be, you know, more pride over the public transportation system. Hmm, that's so true, Wilmer. And it's an area of needed change like you, Alyssa, have been cluing us into with your expertise. And this pivots us nicely back to Amina. And also, speaking of pivoting, Lewis, you've spoken to so many individuals throughout the pandemic. And in Amina's story, we heard her touch upon the constant pivots she's made, which you had pointed out earlier in the conversation. So how did you see entrepreneurs like Amina do quick pivots during the pandemic? And what were the successes? What were the failures? And what did that all look like? Well, one of the main ones was uh, a lot of my peers who are in the physical event space. Essentially, their businesses like shut down overnight. There was one guy who messaged me who had 100 employees for his event business, and he had to shut the whole thing down, let go of everyone because there was no physical events anymore. But others who knew about online marketing learned how to do more digital events and pivot and start shifting ticket sales to digital as opposed to in-person and were innovative and were able to shift quickly. And I think those that said, I'm going to take on a new technology, I'm going to learn a new skill, I'm going to shift this and try to spin it into some type of positive and go with it as opposed to, well, we've never done this before, so we just need to wait this out. The ones that were willing to take the risk and innovate and try new things quickly were the ones that were succeeding because they were being of service. They kept their purpose in in front of them and they led with the service, just like our guest is talking about as well with the the ride sharing, with the Facebook group and other things like that. It's like, okay, it's not ideal. This isn't necessarily what I wanted to do, but right now this is my purpose. And coming to the table with a positive attitude and leaning into the challenges, not shying away from them. Those individuals, those entrepreneurs really succeeded and thrived in a lot of ways, or at least maintain a certain level of financial stability during these times. What would you say are some of the pros and cons of the gig economy or having multiple hustles like Amina has? And Alyssa, feel free to jump in after Lewis. I think the pros is not relying on one stream of income where if a pandemic or something happens or a policy changes where it's now, okay, my rides, I had 25 a day, now I have six a day. And not relying on one gig, but having a couple of different gigs. I like that she had structure with uh, the ride sharing. She said, you know, there's a curfew for myself and I don't ride on the weekends, which gives her time to build something else on the weekend if she wanted to or to spend four hours on a Saturday or something like that. Mentoring in the Facebook group, which could turn into consulting, which could turn into creating a course for her community or, or running virtual events for her community and charging that way by teaching how to be a, a great rideshare uh, individual. And also, the more skills you add to your tool belt, the more valuable you become in whatever you're doing. So if you learn how to do one gig well, and then you learn a few other gigs, you can apply that knowledge back to the main gig. Again, or you could use the experience you have in one for the other one. And it just gives you more options. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Lewis. And what about for you, Alyssa? What are your thoughts? The biggest concern I would have about Amina's situation or another worker is, are they allowed to organize? If you look at the way that our transit systems have grown, you know, our, our transit union, drivers unions are very powerful and they have been able to make sure that they're not 
you know, they get the weekends off or they are able to be compensated fairly for their work, which is sometimes very dangerous. And I would worry that another driver wouldn't have the same flexibility or, or give themselves the same boundaries that she does as far as giving herself some rest. There's some really cool um, changes I think happening now. And we'll put the Uber and Lyft to the side for a minute and talk about a really cool company called the Drivers Cooperative, which is a driver-owned uh, ride-hailing company that just started in New York. It's only in New York right now, but they're looking to expand. But if you think about it, how much money is getting pumped into ride hailing because of the failure of our transit systems in many cases, because you don't feel safe walking home, perhaps from the train late at night, and you want to call an Uber to get you that last mile, which seems silly and seems like a waste of money. And, you know, that little bit of money is, is going, is it going to the driver? Maybe a little bit, but it's actually going to this large corporation and maybe back to um, some investors in like oil companies, <laughs> if you're talking about Uber. And what the driver's cooperative is really trying to do is keep that money in New York City and make sure that it's getting pumped back into the local economy. And it's been really amazing to see the responses from people who, you know, matched with people, um, I think their prices are pretty good right now and they are coming more reliably even than some of the bigger companies. But just to know that you're having a conversation with somebody who is getting a larger amount of money that you're paying them to get around and that that money is staying local, which I think is really the most important part of how we think of our post-pandemic spending habits and where we want to focus our efforts on. Alyssa and Louis, the same question for you in many ways. And what kind of systematic change would both of you like to see moving forward to support rideshare drivers? And even further, as you see us connecting to a bigger ecosystem, maybe some of the values of the, or, or the, the thought um, that you have could also apply to different other essential careers. Yeah, going back to Prop 22, you know, this basically gives the reins of what benefits can be offered to these companies. So Uber and Lyft are basically writing a law and they want to do it in other places too. They've said they want to try something like this in New York. Um, they're talking at the federal level to try to introduce this, to try to create what's called a third way, like a third class of workers that they would be able to call all the shots, you know, and that's something that really worries me as someone who, you know, writes about what systems fail first when cities start to get in trouble. Because once you start having people losing their mobility and getting around, like in a place like San Francisco, they cut 80% of their bus service at the very beginning of the pandemic, and they're only slowly starting to add it back. And for a lot of people, they can jump to a rideshare situation, but for a lot of other people, they don't even have that option. So you're paying workers and not offering them enough benefits. They're taking more time to work, like they're not giving themselves a weekend break. They're in some cases forfeiting other jobs because they are trying so hard to just keep their subs going on these app platforms because it's really the only reliable source of income. And then you have the rest of the transportation infrastructure trying to fall away around it. So for me, it's like a, a red flag. If we, if we want to make sure that people are able to get around their city in a sustainable way, this is part of this just transition we're talking about when we talk about climate change. You know, If we want more people to be able to take buses and trains and ride bike share and have all these other options, we have to invest in the people that are working those systems and driving those buses and balancing those bikes and laying that track in our cities. Yeah, and I think Alyssa is the expert in this, but I'll, I'll speak from a more of a philosophical, spiritual standpoint of I'm all for uh, creating the environment of a win-win-win situation. So what does that look like for the 
the companies that have created the technology, the infrastructure for thousands of people to be employed in a certain way, what is the win for them? What is the win for the drivers so that they're succeeding? They they see opportunities for growth. They see opportunities for securities or safety, things like that. And then what is the win for the riders? You know, what is the win for the riders for fair fares? I guess it is. Yeah. Uh, not too expensive and not too, you know, all those things. So, and then what is the win for the environment? How do we incentivize people using cars that are more eco-friendly and things like that? So it's uh, more of a win, 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 win. So that's what I, the way I look at it. Well, incredible. Alyssa, thank you for your insight and your expertise and all this. And Luis, you've always inspired, you know, millions of people around the world with your philosophies and your self-discoveries that you've shared with so many of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a million times for, uh, for being here with us. We just covered so many different topics in such a short amount of time. It's clear that Amina's story is about much more than just getting from point A to point B. Amar, where should we go if we want to learn even more? If you want to learn more from both our thought leaders today, we encourage you to check out their other work. Alyssa writes for New York Magazine, which you can find at nymag.com. And you can find Lewis's books, podcast, The School of Greatness, and coaching program at lewishouse.com. As always, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with Lisa Ceballos, a caseworker at the Trans-Latina Coalition, followed by a roundtable with the founder of the coalition, Bambi Salcedo, and activist and model Carmen Carrera. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, MR Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's Essential Voice, Amina Ashraf, and to our thought leaders, Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness podcast, and Alyssa Walker from New York Magazine. Additional thanks to Matthew Cicerato and Sarah Livingstone. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion Lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. La cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. 